if you would now turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 28. Listen now as I read for us Genesis 28, verses 10 to 15. Jacob left Beersheba and sent out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. This, my friends, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we begin our journey this morning into a new series about angels, would you please join me in a word of prayer? Lord, thank you for the gift of your word, for your ministry to us through one another and through your angels, Lord. Help us discover exactly what that means and understand the treasure that is their stories in your scripture. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody together said, amen. Well, today we begin a three-week conversation on the topic of angels. And I confess that when we plotted out our calendar with all of the communicators and preachers in the building and prayed through this topic and had conversations with many of you in this congregation who have asked us over the years and said, hey, let's talk about angels, help us understand that. I confess that when it finally came time to do it this week, I was a little lost. You know, when you go to seminary, they don't give you a class on angels in most schools. What we know about angels comes to us in bits and pieces sometimes, a little bit from scripture and a lot perhaps from popular culture. And I began to ask myself this same question. What do we as Christians, as people of God, believe about angels? Do we have guardian angels? Do people become angels somehow after this life? Do we see angels? How many wings do they have? I don't know about you. Maybe you've asked yourself some of these very same questions. And we are going to explore what Scripture actually tells us about angels. Now, conversations around them are not completely foreign to us in Scripture, but we often blow past the details about angels in pursuit of the bigger story. Most of us, whether we've ever been to church before or not, know the angels who appear in the Christmas narratives. We're told that Zechariah the priest, Elizabeth's husband, John the Baptist's father, was visited by an angel in Luke chapter 1. 
As he administered his priestly duties, we're told, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And they have a conversation that lasts a full 10 verses, which is a long conversation in Scripture. And just a few sentences later, we read, of course, that God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And those of us who perhaps have dared to study more of God's word may have noticed that the mention of the angels occurs over and over and over again throughout both the Old and the New Testaments, all the way through to the book of Revelation, where John's vision includes peals of thunder that rip across the sky and the sounds of harps and the sounds of worship and the songs of angels. And over and over again in Revelation, he mentions visions that include angels. In 14, 6 through 7, he says, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. This angel, he said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. These are the images we begin to uncover when we spend time walking through God's word. Most of us, however, take our images of angels from popular culture. And it is hard not to because pop culture has been fascinated with angels for centuries. Consider for a quick moment Raphael's famed painting, The Sistine Madonna. It was his last Madonna painting. It was commissioned in 1513 by Pope Julius II. And if you look at it, at first glance, it looks like an interesting piece of art. And if you zoom in at the bottom, how many of us have seen the two cherubs at the bottom show up over and over and over in our culture? This is one of the best-known images of angels that has lasted for hundreds of years. Most of us, when we think of angels, consider these sort of chubby, cherub-like little creatures who sometimes can even look aloof, perhaps even bored with the activities of heaven. Many of us know about angels through the decade-long television show that ended in 2013, Touched by an Angel. How many of you have heard of that or seen that show? Or perhaps you know George Bailey's guardian angel in It's a Wonderful Life. Does anybody remember his name? Clarence Oddbody. John Travolta, Denzel Washington, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Nicolas Cage, they have all played angels in movies. It is hard to find a decade 
without dozens of songs that sing of angels, whether centuries ago, a hymn, perhaps angels from the realms of glory, or earth angel in the 50s, and any of you who grew up in the 80s might be humming Aerosmith's song, Angel, right now. Angels abound in sports movies, angels in the outfield. And lest the infielders feel left out, there is actually a movie called Angels in the Infield. And to keep all of the football fans going, there is actually a movie called Angels in the End Zone. So apparently angels are heavily invested in American athletics. Many of our buildings and our cemeteries adorn our eaves and our headstones with the wings of angels. If I asked all of us, myself included, to unpack our theology of angels, it would likely include bits and pieces of these events and movies and places in history. But what does God actually say about angels? There is actually a theological category called angelology. And thereby, and in that study, theologians for centuries have sorted out what the Bible actually says about angels. The passage we read for this morning is not the most prominent story of angels that shows up in Scripture. There are bigger and flashier stories about angels. The story we began to explore this morning is the story of Jacob. And this is Jacob the Jacob and Esau, the Jacob that is later renamed by God Israel, the Jacob who wrestles with the divine. And in pursuit of those bigger stories, we might blow right past a detail that informs a lot of our conversation for today. Jacob is traveling. He is in a dry desert climate. He's destitute on his journey, so much so that this story tells us the best place to lay his head for the evening was a rock. It's probably warm from the sun shining on it all day. And he falls asleep. And when he falls asleep, he has a dream. Many of us might know this as Jacob's Ladder. And scripture says he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. He saw the angels of God ascending and descending. Now, for the Israelites, for the culture at that time, the realms of God were up. They were heavens. And not heavens in the clouds with those little cherubs floating around playing harps. The realm of God, the realm of the divine for the Israelite was up. The reality is the realm of God is all around us. Not just up, but it is all around us. The Baker Dictionary of Theology says heaven is basically the created reality beyond earth. It is not necessarily spatially located. What Jacob is saying here is that he saw angels coming and going between the realm of earth 
and the realms of glory, which is to say there is constant contact, constant communication between heaven and earth. Angels are messengers, and God is constantly, whether we are aware of it or not, using angels to inform and carry messages of his mission and glory to his people, us, here on earth. This can be challenging to consider. I mean, perhaps we've given a slight theological nod to these possibilities. Okay, yes, you know, there is this realm of God. Of course, I am, I am a Christian. This is what we say we believe. Most of us, whether we are church folks or not, say we believe this. According to the Pew Research Center, 95% of Americans believe in a spiritual realm. And 83% of them say that spiritual realm is inhabited by God. Worldwide, more than 8 in 10 people identify with a religious group. Scripture is clear that there is a heavenly realm where that which we cannot tangibly touch or see informs our lives and where God moves in his spirit and in his glory. We like tangible things. Our lives work better, in our opinion, when we understand the way the world works, when we can identify and compartmentalize and categorize the things of our world. We are, for the most part, philosophical materialists. We trust and believe in what we can see. Our daily lives begin in an orderly and explainable fashion. We wake up and the understandable concept of gravity keeps our feet on the ground and prevents us from floating down to the kitchen for our coffee. We chart maps, we chart weather, we create complex algorithms and strategies to define and defend our world. We forecast our economics. The insurance industry literally calculates risk. We trust in what we can see and measure. So when we have a conversation about the fact that angels are operating in the realm of God that we cannot see, we stop. And many of you, I'm guessing, are trying to figure out what exactly does this mean? Is there an angel in my house? Are they around us right now? What is this conversation that we're having? For the Christian to deny the existence of angels, according to Karl Barth, is to deny the existence of God, he says. The mention of angels, do you know that angels are referred to some 300 times throughout the Old and the New Testament. In the book of Job, chapter 38, God and Job have a conversation, and we see at the end that angels have been present with us and with God since the very beginning of creation. Job and God converse, and God says to Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. 
Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it on what were its footings set or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy. God is bantering back and forth with Job saying, who are you to think you know how all of this took place? I laid all of this into its foundations while songs of worship were sung and at the beginning of time, the angels themselves shouted for joy. Angels are mentioned in roughly 34 of the 66 books of scripture. They are discussed by gospel writers and letter writers and in the Old Testament and in the New and most importantly, Jesus himself unmistakably mentions, refers to, believes in, trusts in, and is ministered to by angels. When he was tempted in the desert at the very beginning of his ministry career, we're told that once the temptation and trials of the wilderness experience left, the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Matthew 4, chapter 11. An angel from heaven appeared and strengthened Jesus, we're told in Luke 22. He says in Matthew 24 that God will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. He instructs us, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. And very importantly, he reminds us this. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels, the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is just a small sample of the conversations that Jesus had that included a mention of angels. And throughout history, theologians have not denied the existence of angels. Origen, Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, Karl Barth, John Henry Newman, to mention a few, all unpack and address the presence of angels. So what are we to do with the very clear reality that angels exist. Most of us don't consider and see that which is not before us on a regular basis. There's a system in the brain called the reticular activating system. It's responsible for filtering out stimuli on every day in every moment we are addressing with our mind hundreds and hundreds of stimuli our eyes our noses our hands our skin we're taking in tons of stimuli so much stimuli that the brain cannot actually process everything we take in so the reticular activating system filters out what it deems unimportant and sends to our consciousness that which it deems important. 
It's why perhaps you would sit out on your back deck with a cup of coffee and not hear the birds chirping until someone said to you, isn't that a pretty sound from that bird? And you might think, oh, I actually hadn't noticed that because you were thinking of something else. Years ago, when I had graduated from college, I had saved up just enough money to buy my first beat-up old used car, and I had my eye on a cherry red Jeep Wrangler. And I went to the guy's house with my dad who was selling this Jeep, and I handed him an envelope full of cash, and I got in my new, new for me, red Jeep Wrangler. Much to my dad's horror, I drove all the way home with the emergency brake on in my little stick shift car. <laughs> And I thought I was the coolest thing in the world because I had my red Jeep. I was like 21 years old. I thought I was the only one on the planet with a red Jeep Wrangler that cool until I saw a red Jeep Wrangler on basically every intersection for years to come. I had never noticed. Red Jeep Wranglers weren't important until they were. My brain turned on something that made me notice them. Now you're going to notice them. Because I just turned it on in your brain. You're like, thanks for that. Useless information. Angels are not important until they are. We begin to notice them. Scott McKnight says this. Slight of hand magic is based on the demonstrable fact that as a rule, people see only what they expect to see. Angels, he says, are powerful spirits from God sent into the world to wish us well. Since we don't expect to see them, we don't. An angel spreads its glittering wings over us, and we say things like, it was just one of those days that made you feel good to be alive. Or, I don't know where I ever found the courage. He's got a great book called The Hum of Angels. If any of you want to study this deeper, we as a preaching team and staff, highly recommend it. Angels are fearsome, mighty creatures who more accurately reflect the glory of God than we do. They are terrifying, they are majestic, and they are sent by God into this world. Consider the difference between the pop culture images of angels and the encounter with an angel that is recorded in the book of Job. Listen to this. A word was secretly brought to me. My ears caught a whisper of it. Amid disquieting dreams in the night when deep sleep falls on people, fear and trembling seized me and made my bones shake. A spirit glided past my face. And the hair on my body stood on end. It stopped. But I could not tell what it was. A form stood before my eyes, and I heard a hushed voice. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can even a strong man be more pure than his maker? That's a cool story. That makes my hair stand on end. That is an angelic encounter with the divine. This is the conversation we are having. These moments happen. And when they happen, they do not happen so that we can have the most comfortable, 
cushy life. They do not come to spread their wings over our financial portfolios or our wildest dreams. They come to fold us into the presence of God and to move us towards God's purposes. This is the conversation we are going to have for the next couple weeks. My joy today is going to be to leave you with four quick things, I promise they're quick, that you will want to know about angels and consider this week as you wrestle with this topic and as we continue to move through it for the following weeks. The first is this, angels are created. They are not God. They are created beings created by God. Therefore, like us, they have limits. They do not operate exclusively just like God. There are limits to their power and their knowledge. They have a different view of God than we do. Interestingly, human beings are the only creatures in Scripture said to be made in the actual image of God. But angels are created beings. And there are millions of them. When they are mentioned in Hebrews, we're told you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Revelations 5, Revelation 5.11 says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. I am not good at math, but that is a lot. There's a lot of zeros if you do the multiplication there. There are millions that God created. Second, angels are spiritual. They are spiritual beings. They do not have physical bodies, and yet they can appear visibly. An angel appeared to the women at Jesus' tomb the morning of his resurrection. In Acts 5, the disciples were physically released from prison by an angel. Yet they are described in Hebrews 1.14 as spirits. We do not read stories of angels marrying, having children, or dying. We don't read exclusive stories of their interactions with God the way we do with human beings. Angels are spiritual. They are created. They are spiritual. Third, they are aware. Angels know things we don't. They dwell with God. They are sent to us to teach us something of God, to teach us how to worship God. They know more about the mission of God than we do. The word in Greek, angelos, means messenger. That is the role they play. That is their assigned task. They are to teach us about God. And when they show up, they bring tidings and news of God. They make proclamations and pronouncements. Their purpose is to point to God. Millard Erickson, a prolific writer and theologian, says, every reference to angels is incidental to some other topic. He says, angels are not treated in themselves. God's revelation never aims at informing us regarding the nature of angels. When they are mentioned, it is always 
in order to inform us further about God, what he does, and how he does it. They are aware of God's movement in the spiritual realm, and it is their job, per God, to inform us. They are created, they are spiritual, they are aware, and last, they are on mission. And I'll close with this. Do you notice when angels show up in scripture that they freak people out? They are not the chubby little cherubs that we saw in that picture. They stress people out. This is why if you read through your scriptures, you will see over and over and over again the first words that an angel utters are, fear not, or do not be afraid. I come from God. And I have to confess, I would be scared too if I was going about my business and the heavens opened up and an angel dropped down. My guess is Mary probably took a step back when Gabriel visited her. Angels do not show up to just pat us on the back and say, way to go. C.S. Lewis says this, in scripture, the visitation of an angel is always alarming. It has to begin by saying, fear not. And then he points out, he goes, the Victorian angel of our cult pop culture, he goes, looks as if it's going to say, they're there. So it begs the question, what is the purpose of an angel? It is to represent the mission of God. And if we really understand the mission of God, if we believe we are people that are messengers and missionaries on behalf of God, that is an overwhelming, daunting, terrifying call. And when we put ourselves in a position to be on God's mission, we should expect angels. Now, does that mean that you are going to focus your life on God and work really, really hard at being a good soldier for Jesus and that one night your bedroom ceiling is going to open up and an angel is going to come crashing down? No. I don't know how they will appear to you. Some of you, many of you, because you have told me, have had moments where you undoubtedly know an angel was present, that you felt the presence of the divine surround you. When you have those moments, the question is, were you moved to the mission of God as a result? When you stop and ask yourself, was that an angel? Was that feeling I had? Was that prayer that came to me? Was that comfort was given? If you ask yourself, was that an angelic experience? Because you're probably going to start asking those questions now that we've had this conversation. The follow-up question is, did that moment bring me closer to the presence of God? When you see angels in Scripture, they scare people, and then they stress them out. <laughs> Mary, I'm going to mess up your life. I'm going to take the little engagement that you were going to have to Joseph and the nice life you thought you had, and I'm going to drop into your life the Son of God. When John sees angels in Revelation, they are ushering in the final days. They are shouting the praises of God. They are undeniably about worship of God, the Lamb upon the throne. They are ushering in the mission of God. That is what an angel does. So consider that this week. When you have moments that you wonder, 
Was that the divine? Was that the spirit of God? Was that the presence of God? Did I just find my ordinary life and the extraordinary world that I cannot see colliding? And ask yourself, am I more about God because of that experience than I was a minute ago? Am I better on the mission of God? Do I know more about God's purposes? Am I being called to do something and act for God's glory and the good of others? That's what angels do. They put us and keep us on the mission of God. And that is both a peaceful experience, but a terrifying one. So consider that this week, if you would. I know I raised more questions now than I answered, but I think that's what a good preacher does. So wrestle with that this week and consider it. And let's pray together and ask God to bless what comes next in our lives. Lord, thank you for the conversation that you provide in Scripture about angels. It is real. Lord, help us sift through the images we have from our popular culture and help us laser in on the stories of you. Help us understand, God, that when you showed up in Scripture and sent your angels, that it was a powerful moment that set people on a mission for you. And may we be those same people. May you confront us and comfort us. May you terrify us. And may you move us closer to you because of our understanding of the reality of your angels in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.